0: Let us now read together what we confess. First of all, what we confess in the Belgian Confession, Article 29. Marks of the True and the False Church is the heading. We believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully from the word of God what is the true church. For all sects which are in the world today claim for themselves the name of church. We are not speaking here of the hypocrites who are mixed in the church along with the good, and yet are not part of the church, although they are outwardly in it. We are speaking of the body and the communion of the true Church which must be distinguished from all the sects that call themselves the Church. The true Church is to be recognized by the following marks. It practices the pure preaching of the Gospel. It maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It exercises Church discipline for correcting and punishing sins. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it, and regarding Jesus Christ as the only head. Hereby the true Church can certainly be known, and no one has the right to separate from it. Those who are of the Church may be recognized by the marks of Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ, the only Savior, flee from sin, and pursue righteousness." Love the true God and their neighbor without turning to the right or left, and crucify their flesh and its works. Although great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their life. They appeal constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in him. The false church assigns more authority to itself and its ordinances than to the word of God. It does not want to submit itself to the yoke of Christ. It does not administer the sacraments as Christ commanded in his word, but adds to them and subtracts from them as it pleases. It bases itself more on men than on Jesus Christ. It persecutes those who live holy lives according to the word of God, of God and who rebuke the false church for its sins, greed and idolatries. The, these two churches are easily recognised and distinguished from each other. And now let us read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day twenty one. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself, and by his Spirit and Word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am, and forever shall remain, a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and every one, as, char- as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins nor my sinful nature, against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. After the sermon we will sing from hymn 38 to stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, This afternoon, we deal with a doctrine that is very important to us, the doctrine about the Church. Most of us cannot imagine our lives without the Church. The Church is an integral part of our lives. Church life affects everything we do. And so we think about the Church a lot. We think about our place in it and the place of others in it. We also talk a lot about the church. There are things we like about the church and things we do not like. There are those, for example, who find church life very satisfying and stimulating. But there are also those who find what goes on in church boring. We don't have bands in front of the church and other types of entertainment like some of the evangelical churches do. The only one standing in the front is the minister who has sermons that that last at least half an hour, sometimes longer. In the church there is also a lot of emphasis on sin and on discipline. If you don't come to church regularly enough or if you commit a public sin, then the elders always get involved in one way or the other. And the people in the church are not always as friendly or as outgoing or as inclusive. As we would like either. Some people even leave because of these negative feelings about the church. They want to go to a more dynamic church. To a church that's more alive. And they find that the people in another church are better Christians. For they are more enthusiastic about the gospel. And they are so sweet and loving. And so the question is, what can we expect from the Church and from the people that belong to the Church? What is the right kind of Church? The Catechism, on the basis of what we confess in the Apostles' Creed, speaks about the Holy Catholic Christian Church. What does that mean? Does that refer to any Church? Does that mean we can pick and choose ourselves? Those are some of the things we'll deal with this afternoon. The theme is as follows, I believe a holy Catholic Christian church. We will look at first of all the gift, secondly the calling, finally the promise. The Apostles' Creed begins with the statement, I believe a holy Catholic church. The doctrine concerning the church belongs to the content of our faith. What is the content of our faith? Well, the content of our faith refers to the word of God itself. It refers to the Bible. Only in God's word will you find what you believe, for that is God's revelation to you. And so, if you want to begin about speaking about the church, then you begin about with what God says about the church, and then you compare that to what you see and experience, Does what you see in the church to which you belong reflect that which God says in His Word? We summarize what it says in God's Word in our confessions. For example, in the Apostles' Creed and the Heidelberg Catechism and the Belgian Confession. Lord's Day 8 teaches us that the Apostles' Creed was divided into three parts namely, with God the Father and our creation, with God the Son and our redemption. And finally, with God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. The Holy Spirit is put in the third place, not because the Holy Spirit is less important than the other three persons of the Trinity. No, the Holy Spirit is last because the Holy Spirit completes the work of God. He is the one who sanctifies us. That is to say, he is the one who makes us holy. He makes us pure. He completes us so that we can be presented without blemish before the throne of God. And now the church is also properly dealt with under the heading of the Holy Spirit. We confess in the the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then it comes, I believe a holy Catholic Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. When you look at the punctuation of the Apostles' Creed, then you will note that after the word church there is not, as is the case with the other statements of the Apostles' Creed, a semicolon, but a comma. Comma, the communion of saints. With that comma in there, there is the indication that there is a close connection between the church and the people of the church. As a matter of fact, the people are the church. For when we speak about the church, then we do not speak about a building or an institution, but then we speak about the people. For it is the people who make up the church. So the church and the communion of saints is one thing. And that church is God's workmanship through the Holy Spirit. The early Christian church wanted to make sure that the statement about the church of God had a prominent place within the Apostles' Creed. Originally, the Creed said, I believe a holy Catholic Church. The word Christian was added only later by Luther. It was very important for the early Christian Church to confess that. For look at what had happened to them. During the first 300 years after the birth of Christ, the early Church was severely persecuted. They served God at the very perils of their lives and their livelihoods. And therefore it was important for them to confess that the Lord God had taken them out of the world and included them as members of his kingdom. That he delivered one of them from the evil one and redeemed them through the blood of Christ. And that they were made part and parcel of God's covenant people. In spite of how they are treated by the world, they are now God's special people, God's church. And nothing and no one can undo that. What a comfort. That's how they saw themselves and that's how we must see ourselves as well. We are a collection of God's people who have been taken out of this sinful world and made God's own. When we speak about God's church, then that is where we begin. We begin by looking at what God has done and continues to do. How beautifully and positively is spoken of the church in Psalm 48. There you read about how God dwells in the city of Jerusalem. The people of Jerusalem are God's people. It is the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. That is to say, he is her fortress. The psalmist says in verse 9, Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. That is what we do in the temple. And that's also what we do in the church. We meditate on his love. For we are very dear to him. That is clear from the various names that God calls his church throughout the rest of scripture. For example, in Psalm 1 verse 5, the church is called the assembly of the righteous. And in Psalm 149 verse 1, she is called the assembly of the saints. And throughout the scriptures, the church is also called the bride. And elsewhere, she is called the shoot of God's planting. Planting. And I could go on and on like this, for there are more than a hundred ways in which the Lord God refers to his people, to his church. And they are all very glowing terms that God makes in his word about the church. And so when God himself describes the church in such a marvelous and loving way, then you and I must do the same. But you may ask, what about all the things that are wrong in the church? Do we just ignore that? No, you don't. God himself does not do that either, for he also says other things about the church. For example, in Revelation 2 verse 4, the Lord Jesus Christ says to the church at Ephesus, Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. And in that same chapter, he says about the church at Pergamum that she must repent, for the church tolerates people in her midst who hold to the teaching of Balaam and the teaching of the Nicolaitans. I could give many more examples of this. For the fact of the matter is that the church is made up of sinful people. And the Lord God does not hide that fact. On the contrary, As a matter of fact, the sins of the people of the church are even highlighted. They are highlighted in a way that you will not find in any other human document. Just look at how the Lord God exposes the sins of the leaders of the church in the Old Testament. And how he exposes their sin. David's sin, for example. And Abraham's sins. And what about Jacob and and his sons? What a dysfunctional family that was. And yet it is from the sons of Jacob from the 12 tribes that God established his Old Testament church. And look at the New Testament church. What a miserable collection of human beings. The New Testament church is an apostolic church. That means it was built on the 12 apostles. These were also sinful men. The same thing is true of the members of the church. Just think about the church at Corinth. It was a divided church. They were constantly at odds with each other. There was sexual immorality. They were taking each other to court. And they couldn't, even get to get, they couldn't even get along together when they ate the Lord's Supper together. And therefore, we too have to be aware and have to have our eyes open of what is going on around us, especially in the church. But why do you think that God speaks about this church on the one hand, in glowing terms, and on the other hand, in condemning terms. Well, he does so for only one reason. And that is because he loves his church. He wants to build his church up. And he wants to bring out the best in us. And that is why he first highlights how precious we are to him, as his people, as his church. And because he... Things that we are so precious to him. He wants us to stay on the right track. He warns us like a mother of a child who is in dangerous territory. And as we also saw this morning, he does that therefore out of love. And you see that is also where our starting point should be. When we think about and speak about the church, then we too have to do that in love. Not because we are irritated. Not because we stand in judgment about others. But because we want the best for God's people. But you may say, I still have certain difficulties with that. For in this church there are those who receive the sign and the seal of God at at the time of their baptism and who make profession of faith. And yet who conduct themselves in just as bad a way and sometimes in even a worse way than unbelievers. Doesn't that mean anything? Are we just supposed to overlook that? No, we are not. What then should we do? Well, you have to begin always with yourself. Often those who are dissatisfied with the church are those who do nothing but point fingers at others. They don't look at themselves. They are not humble, but arrogant. They look at other people, and they are led by their emotions. And when the people disappoint them, no matter what church, they find them in, they turn on them, and they condemn them. And so people like that, they go from one church to another. They're always looking at other people, and they're always wagging their fingers, but they don't look at themselves. But that's where you and I have to begin. You begin by looking at yourself to see whether or not you measure up to the standards that you set for others. And that will keep you quite busy. For note well that the Catechism speaks about living members. It says that those who belong to the Church are living members of it. It doesn't speak about dead members. That brings us to the second point, dealing with our calling. Who are living members? And how do you become one? The Catechism states that the Son of God gathers, defends, and preserves for himself a church, and that he does that by his word and spirit. Those are the means that he uses, the instruments that he uses. Without God's word, there would be no church. And that is why God's word is central in our worship service. And that is why we don't have a band in the front of the church here. A true believer does not look at created things, at external things, but he looks at the word of God and wants to be guided by that. For only God's word can make you a new creature. And it is the word of God that makes us believers together, that makes us a church. And that's the way it was from the beginning. God spoke to Adam and Eve after the fall into sin. And he told them about the promise of a redeemer who would defeat Satan. And because of God's word to them, they worshipped him. They sacrificed to him and called upon his name. And when they and their believing children gathered together, then there you found God's church. And God spoke to Noah and his family. And to Abraham and his offspring. And he did that throughout the Old Testament period. The church is created through his word. That is true of the Old Testament and of the New. The word came down to earth in the flesh. The Son of God himself. The Son of God spoke and gathered around him the disciples. They believed. And again, there you have the church of God. And the disciples also went out and they brought the message of God. Wherever God's word took root in the hearts of the believers. There God's church came about. Those who heard the message gathered together to hear more. And to be taught and to be reminded of God's greatness. And of God's great love for them. The same thing is true today. This church here in Edmonton was also created by the word of God. And that continues to be the case. For that reason it is so important that God's word is also proclaimed here from this pulpit every Sunday. God's word must work in you to make you a living member of his church and therefore also of Christ. It is through the word that you are told about your redemption through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you are told about the forgiveness of sins. It is through the word that you are told how to live and to show yourself to be a child of God. God's word encourages you, confronts you, comforts you, and also warns you and exhorts you. In Article 29 of the Belgian Confession, the three marks of the church are mentioned. The Church of God is very easily recognized. The marks of the true Church are the pure preaching, the pure administration of the sacraments, and the exercise of discipline. Especially that last is something that should have our attention. And we will deal with that when we come to Lord's Day 31. For can you imagine the word without discipline? Can you imagine in your own home if a parent only said that you couldn't do certain things, but they wouldn't follow it up if you disobeyed them anyway? Well, the same thing is true with the word of God. The word of God has consequences, and therefore it is tied to the discipline. But in reality, you can indeed reduce it to one element only, just as the Belgian Confession does. It is God's Word ultimately that is central. For it is God's Word that tells you how to exercise discipline and how to administer the sacraments. Now, then, it is here in this church where you will find the pure preaching and also the other two marks of the church. That doesn't mean that the preaching is done without flaws. On the contrary, as you well know, it is done with much weakness. It is done with much trembling before the throne of God, knowing the weaknesses and the limitations of him who has to prepare it and to bring it. But every effort is made to make sure that it is done in faithfulness to God and his word. And that is why the elders are there, and that is why the church itself is there, to ensure that the preaching is done faithfully, in accordance with God's word. For that word must work in your hearts and continue to make a living member of Christ. You may not be a dead member of this church. You must be a good example, you must be a good example to your children, what it means to be a living member For you see, when you leave this building, God's word should have worked in your hearts and made you into a different person from when you entered an hour earlier. It cannot be so that when you leave here, that then you are the same person as when you entered. God's word always affects you. God's word always comes to you with his promises and with his demands. God's word grafts you into the vine. It feeds you and it refreshes you. God's word gives you the spiritual nourishment that you need. week in, week out. God's word washes you as it says in John 15. It makes you clean from your pollution because of your sins. And it makes you a saved person. And when you leave this building you take also that word that has been planted into your heart with you. So that you may apply it in your own life. But God's word is also a two-edged sword. There are those who belong to the church outwardly, but who are not truly part of the church. Article 29 of the Belgic Confession also refers to them, for it doesn't just speak about the marks of the church, but also about the marks of a Christian. But even those who come to this church, and who do not apply this word in their lives, Also, have their lives changed because of that word. For God's God's word makes one person alive, softens his heart, but the other person's heart he will harden. And when he or she continues not to listen, then it will become so hard that the Holy Spirit will no longer penetrate. And then such a person is no longer a living member of the church. We confess in the Belgian Confession that there are true believers, but also hypocrites in the church. The hypocrites are mixed in with the church. A better way is re, of remembering that is the way someone once put it. He said, church members are either pillars or caterpillars. The pillars hold up hold up the church. The caterpillars just crawl in and out. Are you a pillar or a caterpillar? In the final analysis, only you can answer that question. But before you do, look in the mirror of God's word first. For only there will you find a true reflection of who you are. If you do not do that, then you will still fool yourself. And so you see the importance of the preaching of God's word. Preaching is not meant to entertain you or to bring you up to date on current affairs. No, the preaching is meant to reveal God's will in your life. There are those who think that the preaching is meant in the first place for the spreading of the gospel. We must use God's word in order to evangelize and do the work of mission. And indeed, that's an important aspect of the word. But God's word is meant, first of all, for you. It is meant so that you may realize who you are, a child of God, belonging to his church as part of his people question and answer 55 deals with with your living membership of this church for it asks what you understand by the communion of saints the answer speaks about the gift that has been handed over to you by the Lord Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit do you know what those gifts are They are the gifts you have received in your threefold office as prophet, priest, and king. That is the office of all believers. In the first place you have been ordained as a prophet. Do you know what a prophet does? Let me remind you of what it says in question and answer 32. As prophet you confess his name. That is to say you proclaim God's name over your entire life. You are a bearer of God's name. And now it is your duty to show that. God's name on your forehead must be evident as you go about your daily business. You do not tolerate that his name is blasphemed because of your words or actions. And as priests you present yourself as a living sacrifice of thankfulness. That means that you use what you have received from the Lord your God for making his name great for what he has done for you. As a living member, you are a thankful person, not a grumbler, not someone who only points at others. If you do nothing but complain and criticize for the sake of being negative rather than for building up, then you are not showing yourself to be a child of God belonging to his church, to his people. A child of God is always a thankful person. Always thankful for all that the Lord God has done for him and all his brothers and sisters in the Lord. You are amazed that you may be part of his people. And you also as king fight against sin and the devil. That is your task as you go about your daily business. You fight against your weaknesses with all your strength. You hate sin and you want to flee from it. But you can only do that in the strength of the Lord. For without him you cannot win your battle. And then you use those gifts of prophecy, of sacrifice and of royalty for the benefit of the other members of the church, it says in the catechism. For you are one with them and you are happy to share with them, with the weak members, with all kinds of members, no matter what kind of members we are talking about. And you will be only an effective member if you first of all realize your own sin and that you know yourself to have been relieved from that sin through Jesus Christ. And that is what the Word of God does for you. It cleanses you from your sin and equips you to lead others to God. God's word makes you one with them. And if that is how you are a living member of God's church, then the Lord also makes his promises. We come to the third and final point. The comment given in answer 56 is that God will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. Condemnation. The Lord Jesus says in John 5 verse 24, I tell you the truth, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says the same in Romans 8, verse 1 through 2. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. It is no wonder that the early Christians belonging to the New Testament church loved the church as much as they did. And that is why some of them called the church the Ark of God. That is where they were safe in the midst of a world that was drowning. For that is what is handed out in the church. That is where you receive the forgiveness of sins. That is where that is proclaimed. God's word concerning the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life is made a reality in your life. There are those who think that church membership is not important. You can do without it. For they see the church only as a gathering of people. They do not see God in it. And so they do not even mind to separate from it or to go their own way. The Belgian Confession strongly warns against such thinking by stating that no one has the right to separate from it. Article 28 makes a similar statement. It says, All therefore draw away from the church or fail to join it, act contrary to the ordinance of God. And that same article even puts it stronger. It says further, There is no salvation outside of it. There is no salvation outside of the church of God. For God is not a God without his people. And you may say, well, what church are we talking about here? A a Baptist church, an Alliance church, a Pentecostal church, a Roman Catholic church. Well, we are speaking here about the church that bears the three marks. We are speaking about the church that is faithful to God's word. His promises are proclaimed and handed out there alone and it is your duty to belong to that church if someone were to ask you to what church you belong what would you say then you would say I belong to the Emmanuel Canadian Reformed Church in Edmonton and why would you say that because that's where your membership is that's where you have submitted yourself to the instruction and discipline of the church and you believe that that church is a true church of God If you did not think so, then you should not belong to this church either. Does that mean then that God does not gather his people from other churches? Oh yes, he does. But that's God's business. He can raise up for himself a people from the rocks and from the dust of the earth. But the point is that we must listen to him and obey his commandments. We have to look at our responsibilities. And God calls us to gather there where the marks of the true church are found. That is where his promises are proclaimed in all their fullness. That is where God's word is central. The promises given to the church is that the Lord God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember the sins of the living members, nor their sinful nature against which they have to struggle all their lives. What wonderful promises, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Clearly, those promises are given not to perfect people. Those promises are given to sinners. And this church is full of sinners. And individually and together we fight against our sins every day of our lives. That is the nature of the church. It is a militant church. In other words, it fights constantly against weaknesses and shortcomings not just our own, but also the other members. Together we look forward to that last day when the Bride of Christ, the Church, is presented without blemish before the throne of God. And then we will be able to sing together in unity forever and ever and praise God's name, what He has done for His Church, His people, how great it is to belong to His Church Amen.